Alright, well, guten Abend, dear church. Good evening. It is wonderful to be back at Southwest Baptist Church. This place means so much to us. The Lord has uh, done such a work, both here and at Heartland Baptist Bible College. It is so nice to see you all. Uh, I'm only sorry that we don't have more time to spend uh, with you all and uh, many of our, our dear friends to hear how the Lord has, has been working and what He is, is doing. And I think we're just going to have to make up for it in heaven um, because there's work to do. And so we're, we're so thankful to be here. Uh, Pastor Gaddis, thank you so much for the opportunity uh, to share our burden. I just want to say a little bit about uh, what the Lord is doing in our hearts for, for Germany. Uh, many of you know the Hastings. And they were in, in Germany for many, many years. Uh, they were the first couple that I met in Germany after I received the scholarship here at Heartland uh, to be in, in Europe. I was able to spend 30 days there um, the winter of my senior year at college. And I spent Christmas with the Hastings. I'm wearing the tie that they gave me for Christmas. And uh, just to see uh, their heart for ministry and to see the need there. Uh, but, but back then, I began to pray for the city of Essen. Brother John Spoolstra, missionary in the Netherlands, had awarded the, the school that scholarship. He was burdened for the Ruhrgebiet. This is the, the, the metro area uh, where we're going. And so even way back then in 2011, he drove me around and, and just said, look, look at the people and look at these places And uh, so I, I saw Essen on a map, the city of Essen, and I began praying and have had it on my heart since then. It's been a long road of preparation. I've been an intern for like 50 years, it feels like. Um, but finally, the Lord is opening the doors uh, for us to go and, and plant a church. Uh, it's a metroplex known as the Ruhrgebiet, like I said, and there's approximately 12 million people living in this uh, urban population about the size of Dallas or Chicago, except there's a lot of churches in Dallas. And there's almost no churches in the Ruhrgebiet, and the, the need is tremendous. And not only that, but there's um, the largest mall in Western Europe, and my wife is grateful for that. It's just 20 minutes north of, of Essen. There's two Starbucks in the mall, uh, so coffee lovers would be okay there, but... We looked at the, this, the website for the, the mall, and it detailed the history and the developers of this mall as they considered where to build this. They, they conducted a survey 150 miles around this, this place, and they found 60 million people inhabit within 150 miles. And, and I'm here tonight, and I'm here back in America trying to cry out for them. Because they're going to spend eternity somewhere. And there are, there are no independent fundamental Baptist churches. And that's what we are, and I, I value that. I feel, I feel burdened for that. I feel like that's important. We're biblically bound to, to be that. And we enjoy and are fed and grow in an independent Baptist church. And so pray for us. Please pray for us. Thank you so much for your faithful support for us uh, since 2017. But this, uh, for many of you who don't know who we are, 
this is a prayer card, and this is not just a marketing ploy or, or tool or gimmick. This is something to help God's people remember us. Uh, we're here for such a brief period back at Southwest, and uh, you all are busy just like I am busy, but we need to be reminded to pray for missions. Prayer works. And prayer is an essential element in God's plan to reach the nations. And you've been asked to take a lot of things tonight, a friend day card and and an invitation to Cantata, and and now a prayer card. And you're going to go home with your hands full. But that's a beautiful picture of our responsibility to witness both, both here and in the uttermost parts of the earth. Uh, Missionaries need your prayers. And, and we have not been there long, three years on the mission field, but we have been there long enough to be convinced, even more so, that prayer really does work and your prayers make a difference. We have sensed it as God has protected us and provided for us and, and directed us and, and encouraged us and, and, and helped us along the way. Thank you so much, Southwest Baptist Church, for your sacrifice. We were there for three years, and they just happened to be three of the craziest years in our lifetimes, right? The world kind of went crazy, uh, but we saw God do some, some wonderful things. Um, we have progressed in the language. Our, our primary purpose was to integrate into the culture, to learn the language, to understand their mindset. And we were there working along Brother, Brother Seth Richards, who had just a, a heart to invest in us. He might as well have carried, uh, picked us up from the airport in a stroller, because we just had no idea what we were really getting ourselves into. We had been, been on a six-month survey trip before then, but even then, I, my son's Benjamin, he's three years old, he's going through a phase, and, and why? Why? And what's that? And how does that work? And that's pretty much how I was with Brother Seth. Uh, but he was always so patient and so gracious, like I said, and um, I'm now to the point where I preach without an interpreter, and I'm not saying that it's pretty, uh, not just because it's German, you know, because that's not the prettiest language anyway, but uh, we are, we're making progress. My wife has taken some intensive courses and, and has, has made strides in the language as well, but we, continue, we plan on continuing our education uh, in the language uh, but we're, we're so thankful to be back, uh, but we're anxious to go back, uh, anxious to go back to, to the field and plant a church. Uh, let's, let's go ahead and get into the message tonight. Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Ephesians in chapter number 3. Ephesians in chapter 3, and I'll ask you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. As you turn there, I just want to say one of the things that I'm, I'm going to Germany to tell them is, what we find in Römer Kapitel 3, Vers 23, denn alle haben gesündigt und verfehlen die Herrlichkeit, die sie vor Gott haben sollten. Which being interpreted is Romanos 3,23, por cuanto todos pecaron y están destituidos de la gloria de Dios. Which being interpreted again is Romans 3,23, for all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. Many Germans are, are hard and, and cold to the gospel, and they don't sense their need. They're very proud, very diligent uh, people, and uh, pray for us as we go that God would open hearts to that message. We'll start this evening by reading verse 20 and 21, but our text will begin with verse 13. So, verse 20. 
Many of you will recognize this portion of Scripture. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you once again for the opportunity that we have to assemble here. And Lord, I pray that you would please please bless this gathering and this time that we, that we give to you. Lord, I pray that you would help me to make this message clear, Lord. And I pray that you would help us to see in a very real and a very powerful way what you are saying to us. Lord, teach us and encourage us and correct us where it is needed. I pray that you would speak to every heart. Lord, I pray that you would remove distractions and help Help your people to give attention. Lord, we love you and thank you so much for your wonderful power. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You can go ahead and be seated. Paul the Apostle was a church planting missionary. And his pattern of ministry was to go to a place and to preach the, the message that we hold so dear tonight. The message of a crucified and resurrected Savior, and that's exactly what he did as he came to the city of Ephesus. Ephesus being a major, major city of its day, located in the, what is now the western part of Turkey, contained one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the temple of Artemis, referred to in the book of Acts as Diana, of the Ephesians. And so as he, as he went about doing the work of the ministry, as he went, went around to these cities preaching the gospel, he found different receptions, different responses to his message, that message that, again, we hold so dear, that message which gives us hope. Some believed. Praise the Lord for that. They heard his preaching and accepted mes- uh, the message of Jesus Christ, death, dead buried and resurrected, but not all did. Many people rejected, many people responded with anger, with vitriol, and even with violence. And his life, as he's writing the book of Ephesians, some, some would say it's taken a downward turn. Look at verse 1 with me of chapter 3. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner... Of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. Prisoner there is not a figurative word. It is literally describing his present state. As he is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, listen up. He is in prison. He is apprehended. He is in custody, which I don't know about you, but even today is a shameful thing. And rightfully so. Those who, those who break the code of our society are deprived of liberty. And in his day, he was deprived of liberty because the, perceived, the, the authorities perceived he was unworthy of that liberty. So Paul has, from what we, what we know, what we understand, commentators believe, he wrote this letter about one year into his imprisonment. And, and something we know about his imprisonment, just by the fact that he was able, he had the liberty to write a letter, it was probably more like house arrest. But uh, he, like many prisoners today, had time on his hands. 
That's about the only thing prisoners have a lot of. And he's sitting there and, and he's reflecting. And I just picture Paul going in his mind through all of his journeys in his service to the Lord. And he, his mind comes to the Ephesians. And in this text, he identifies a problem, a concern that he has for the Ephesians, which is found in verse number 13. He says, Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not, that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. And so he, as, he's, as he's thinking about the Ephesians and, and reminiscing and reflecting upon them, no doubt praying for them, he, he realizes how bad this looks. I mean, Paul's situation, he's currently a prisoner, and we won't take the time tonight to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where he details many of the hardships that he faced in service, in service to the Lord, perils by beasts, perils by thieves, perils by his own countrymen, shipwrecked three times, stoned, and left for dead. As a result of the ministry that God had called him to do, as a result of preaching the message that we hear week in and week out from this pulpit, Yeah, tribulations. He knew tribulations. I, I go back to the book of Acts in chapter number 14 in my mind, and I remember his, the, the conclusion of his first missionary journey. And that just, it sticks with me because he's finishing up this journey and he is stoned by that, that multitude, that mob, and left for dead. And, and for many of us, stoning is not something we encounter in our regular life. In our day-to-day -day life, it's probably been a while since anyone in this auditorium was involved in a stoning, but back then, it was a regular part, that was the normal part of their judicial system. So, when you hear, all right, gentlemen, we, we got a stoning out after service, somebody needs to be stoned, they have transgressed God's law, you, you think, uh... Okay, no, nah, I don't think I'm going to be involved in that, right? We, that's very foreign, very unfamiliar, the, the kind of animosity that one would need to, to feel to be involved in something like that. The, the men of that day, the men who went about trying to stone Paul, were very familiar with that process. When they heard the call to stoning it was probably more like, all right, here we go again. Man, it's been a while. Hey, guys, don't forget, warm up your throwing arms, okay? We don't want any pulled muscles. Okay, they were familiar with how the process went. And, and not only that, but what it took to end the life of somebody that they deemed, they, they judged unfit to live. Okay, they weren't novices at what they were doing. And so I, I have, I mean, I've seen people have road rage. Um, I've, you know, been in, in some different altercations. I didn't really grow up with a very rough life compared to some, some others. But I did see some things. So I was born here in the States, but I spent a lot of time with my grandmother. My, my mom worked a lot. 
And so, she, and my grandma lived in Juarez in Mexico, just across the border. And I, I saw a number of things throughout, throughout my time there. One thing that, that I remember is the, the cholos. Okay, I don't know if you remember, I think this, the neighborhood around Southwest has gotten a lot more Hispanic. Okay, and I say that as a Hispanic. Um, but one thing I saw was, okay, so a cholo. Okay, so I'll, I'll explain to you what, what, that, what that is. I don't know. Maybe, maybe somebody here. It, so they, it's kind of, there's sort of a uniform kind of. You know, like, so the ones that, that I'm remembering were wearing Dickies shorts. The, the legs kind of go out straight like that, right? And then there's the, the white socks that, you know, they're wearing shorts, but then they pull them up, all the way up, okay? And then uh, they have, well, they wear sunglasses that are really dark, but they wear them, like, not in the front, like, but in the back, okay? A cholo, a, a gangster, Right? So two cholos come, come running around the corner, and my, I'm there hanging out with my grandma as an 11, 12-year-old kid, and it always, everything always happened on the corner. Don't hang out on the corner, young people. Bad stuff's going to go down. So I hear these two guys, and there's the, the, the distinct sound of, of fists hitting flesh, and so that gets, gets your attention, and so we look over, and there's these two guys that are getting into it. They're fighting. And they're struggling, and one's kind of chasing the other one, trying to get him. And behind them are two cholas. <laughs> I'm not going to take the time tonight to explain, but it's their girlfriends, okay? They also have a uniform. They're, they're chasing them. So by the, what I saw, it was like two buddies that got into it for whatever reason, and they're, they're getting after it. And their girlfriends are trying to pull them apart. And so they're, they're fighting there. On the street corner, the streets weren't paved, so one of them falls. He trips and falls in the dirt, and, and the other one sees that, and he sees this big stone. And he, he reaches down just, just like that and, and lifts it up over his head, and he throws it down at this other man who's tripped and fallen, but just as he's throwing it, his girlfriend manages to move him just enough so that the stone falls to the ground with a thud. Man, blood boiling. That's, that's the kind of animosity and, and rage that Paul experienced as a result of preaching the gospel message. But it wasn't just some inexperience. Remember, these, these men who stoned Paul, I mean, they had good aim. I, I can only imagine the kind of lacerations, the kind of broken bones that he walked away from that with. As a result of preaching the gospel. And he's calling the Ephesians to follow him. Yeah, not, not only that, he's in prison, and he's calling the Ephesians to follow him, to follow God's call. And Paul, from everything that I've read, was just a sharp individual. I mean, a, a keen intellect, an understanding, uh, you could say a, a gifted anthropologist. Uh, he understood 
men. He understood people. He understood how they thought. He was gifted in leading them and reaching them. And, he, and he, he's there thinking about the Ephesians, and his concern is that they would not faint. Now, I don't know about you. I got saved as, as a teenager, as Pastor Gaddis mentioned. I've seen too many people faint. Now, to be clear, this is not describing losing salvation. Once you are saved, you are always saved. We cannot lose our salvation, but we can, we can be hindered in our fellowship. I'm talking about the people who I know who at one point were strong in their faith. And if you've been a Christian for, for any length of time, you've seen people who, who used to be faithful here. Man, I think back to my, to my days at Heartland, and it, it grieves me. It breaks my heart. It frustrates me. Because I, I knew people who were called. At least they professed to be called. And somewhere along the way, they found something better to do. Something else to do. And we see people who are faithful in church, who love the Lord, who are thriving in faith today. But that's no guarantee that they'll continue. And the trials of life put us in jeopardy of fainting. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have written this. So what I think we find here in verse 14 on is is the keys that that Paul found that, that gave him the power to endure all of that affliction and keep on going. Look at verse 14. He says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father. I I can't just skip over this. Paul was a man of prayer. And I've already said it, prayer works. But prayer is an essential part, not only of God's plan to reach the nations, but to keep you from fainting. I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. He wasn't preaching machismo, bravado, toughness, Back in my day, strength. That's not the strength that got Paul through the trials and the stonings and the shipwrecks and the perils. It was the inner man. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. I don't know how much Paul could bench press. Sometimes, and as I've studied this, I I kind of, 
I went there in my mind. I wonder how much... But I doubt that any of us would be impressed with his physical strength. Man, our, our world has such a twisted view of love. And it's love, God's love, that gave Paul the strength to endure afflictions and keep from fainting. That ye being rooted and grounded in love. I don't enjoy pulling weeds, ever. But I I really enjoy pulling weeds when the ground is a little bit damp or when it has moisture, right? That's the best time to do it because the, the weeds come just straight out. Otherwise, I mean, you got to get the right angle. Otherwise, it'll break off. You're going to try to get the root, right? And the root is as strong as that which it's rooted in. And I think this is so simple, but Paul recognized that because he was rooted in God's love, he wasn't going anywhere without God saying so. If you're rooted in, in sand, if you're rooted in your job, if you're, if you're rooted in the relationships in your life, I mean, they'll take you so far, but when the storms come, They will come. You will show your depth of root. That you may be able to comprehend, verse 18, with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And again, verse 19, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. As I, as I reflect on my dear friends who are no longer in the ministry, as I reflect on my dear friends who are no longer in church. And we're not super connected on on social media, and so we don't keep up with everybody's business. But we've been back a little while, and man, we have heard a lot, of gotten a lot of updates of people who have fainted and... And shipwrecks, I mean, people who have gotten into trouble and people who've done this and done that. And I don't enjoy hearing any of that. I, I lost a friend this year. He was in the youth, youth department with me. I remember I came to college days with him. And as a teenager, he would have been someone who I looked up to and he just seemed like he had it all. He was, he was a gifted athlete. He was about six foot three. Um, he, he just had a way with people. He had a lot of, brought a, a lot of visitors to church. And he had, a, he had a four-month-old son and took his life. And I think about him, and I think about his route, and I think about what, what he may have been going through, and, I, and, and as, I, as I travel and I see groups, groups of people and I see churches, I, I just have to wonder how many people are here tonight, maybe, and are struggling, going through a storm. And for whatever reason, real or not, you feel like the world is, is caving in around you. 
and you feel the end of your strength. You felt that a long time ago, maybe. And I, I've seen a common thread in, in, in some who I know have fainted, and that's that they, had a, they struggled to accept God's love for them. Not that God loves the world. I think most of us don't have a hard time accepting that, but that God loves me. That's a, that's a different story. I've heard, I've heard people say this. God couldn't use me. That's somebody who doesn't accept that God loves them. And it, it's such a, basic, such a basic teaching in, in our faith, but accepting that simple fact which doesn't depend on our feeling, doesn't depend on our emotion, doesn't depend on how we're, how we're feeling in our present circumstances, that simple fact will get you through. I think Paul looked back at his conversion experience on his way to Damascus, and he knew that God loved him. And he looked at how God intervened in his life to bring him to Christ. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory where? In the church. And it's so common today to hear, I don't really, I'm not into organized religion. You may hear that, you may have heard that as you've, gone about trying to invite people to friend day. You have to ignore a lot of the Bible. Because God's plan to reach the world, and we won't take the time to, to go into everything, but before this passage, Paul is describing how that God gave him special insight into God's plan to manifest his wisdom in this world through the church through the local New Testament church. And one of the ways that God has ordained and designed for us to drive down that root into God's love, into the knowledge of God's love, is through being at church on Wednesday night and Sunday morning and Sunday night and being in this congregation. Part of it, part of it is that you see other believers go through storms. And other people are watching you. Bernie Moreno was in the military and came to Hillcrest Baptist Church in El Paso, Texas, I believe in the 70s. He's been there for a long time. Came to be the custodian at the church when I was on staff in 2013. He was helping a church member winterize their air conditioner got up on the roof, the ladder gave out, he fell. And in El Paso, it's kind of unique. We have rock walls, and they come to a point made of concrete. Not sharp, but, but it's a point. And as he rolled off of the roof, he, he fell, and his back fell right on the tip of that wall. And his, his vertebrae just went like this. And that spinal cord that runs in there, he, he lost the ability to walk. And I remember going there after our staff Christmas party to the, the physical rehab and seeing Brother Bernie, and he told us a story how that the nurse came in, and she was, you know, they gave him pain pills and different things like that, and she gave him some pills, and he asked, what are these? 
And Brother Bernie isn't a doctor, and, and neither am I. But when the nurse said, oh, these are, you're going to need these. These are antidepressants. And he said, no, I don't need those. I have the Lord. And it's one thing to say that, but I watched him go through that storm. And he, he got in a wheelchair and continued cleaning in the church. This year, he lost his wife. And you, you can imagine how instrumental she was to his daily life. And I wasn't sure as I went back to Hillcrest, I, I didn't know what to expect when I saw Brother Bernie. And I, I, I saw him on Sunday morning, and I said, hey, Brother Bernie, how, how you doing? I'm doing great. Good to be here. Good to see you. You doing all right? Man, that's so awesome. To watch God's dear saints go through the, 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 the tribulation and the trials of life and show the world there's a root there. There's a root. And God and His infinite love ain't going nowhere. So I'm going to stay with Him. I don't understand everything there is to know about God's love. And I never will this side of eternity. But the more I know and the more you know, the more power you will have to go through the trials of life. I'll ask you to stand this evening with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If you're here tonight and you are not 100% sure that if you died, that you would go to heaven. We want to have a time of invitation, a time during the service where you can respond, where you can come down to this altar. We'd, we'd love to take God's word and show you how that you can know that you are saved, how that you can know that your root is in Jesus Christ, the only way to heaven. Christian, have you been up and down in your faith, wavering, going through some difficulties? If God's spoken to your heart tonight, will you just respond in whatever way he has you? Dear Father, I pray that you please bless these moments. Thank you so much for speaking to us. Lord, bless us as we respond. Father, please help us to live for you. And when things get difficult, help us to show that we're rooted in your love. Thank you for loving us, Father. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. If God's speaking to you, will you just do service with him? I just want to ask, everybody's heads bowed, everybody's eyes closed, nobody looking around. Please give privacy. If, if you're here tonight and you're not sure that you're saved, would you just slip your hand up? Slip your hand up. I, I'm not 100% sure that if I died that I'd go to heaven. I'm looking from my left to my right. You're here tonight, you're, you're saved, you, you know that you're going to heaven, but you've been going through some difficulties, and if you're honest, you feel close to fainting. Will you slip your hand up? I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to call you out. Thank you. I see those hands. Thank you. Thank you. Don't quit. Don't give up. Keep on going. 
God says He loves you, He showed He loves you. He proved it on the cross. And He's working in your life right now. Drive down that route.